John chapter 19, verse 30. Um, one of the missions of the church, the big C church, the church universal, is that we would become Christians, that we would share the gospel, that we would go to all of the nations and proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. If you're new here today or if you've not been to South Bay before, on Sundays we usually go through a book of the Bible or a topic or a subject. But when we have a special service like this, it's primarily, almost entirely evangelistic, meaning we are sharing this good news with you, the good news that we have heard. Some of you maybe even attend on Sundays, and the good news hasn't taken root in you yet. We're hoping that through this service today and the reminder of why this is Good Friday, that uh, your life would be nothing like it was before you came in. That sounds lofty, and some of you are like, yeah, right. But I have seen the Lord do miraculous things in my life. I've seen him do miraculous things in others, and I've seen him do a lot of miraculous things in the Word. And so all of my chips are placed with him. I am betting on the Holy Spirit tonight to change your life, to change you about Jesus. Prior to verse 30, and that's what we're going to read in just a moment, was a pretty outstanding day, and I don't mean that in the positive sense. Um, it started with Jesus and his disciples having the Passover meal, which would be last night. And they sang a hymn, and they went out to the wilderness, and as you may or may not know, Jesus was arrested. Um, one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, had sold him out. He'd accepted 30 pieces of silver, uh, an amount of money that was prophesied that the that the Messiah would be ransomed for or, or sold for um, hundreds of years prior to this moment. But Judas betrays him. Jesus gets arrested. Jesus has a, a, a horrible, horrible uh, trial where he is not allowed to defend himself, nor does he. keeps his mouth shut during the whole, th the whole thing. He's beaten. He's mocked. His, he has he spat in his – they spit in his face. And, and I would rather be slapped in the face than have something like that happen to me personally. Um, he's handed over to Pilate. Pilate sentences him to crucifixion. One last option for uh, Pilate, he had this special thing he did for the Jews. He'd release one prisoner. And so he presented a man named Barabbas, oddly enough, ironically enough, meaning son of the father, and Jesus. And they, they chose Barabbas. And they shouted, crucify him, crucify him. Not five days earlier, the same people were singing Hosanna and shouting, deliver us. And now this same one that they had proclaimed to be the Messiah and the anointed one, they were wanting to kill him. It says as a result of Jesus' crucifixion, a lot of things happened throughout the day. Matthew 27 says that darkness fell over the land. I imagine it was maybe a lot like a, like a solar eclipse, but a lot more scary, a lot more unnerving because it was un... They just didn't know that that was coming in the least darkness over the land for a few hours that the ground shook there was an earthquake i'm from california and i've lived through several earthquakes all of them minor but they're unnerving the ground shakes what do you do nothing you, you can't control the ground it just shakes you just ride it out until it's all done and hope that nothing gets destroyed there's a great earthquake as a result of this earthquake tombs opened up people walked out of the grave listen when jesus died on the cross it set, 
it sent aftershocks throughout the entire creation. Graves opened up, people got up, and they were alive again. Church, I want you to change your perspective or, or be reminded of the truth of this day, that it wasn't just another holiday. It wasn't just another thing that God did. This was the, the pinnacle of salvation. This was God doing what he had promised to do in the garden. In Genesis 3, he promises to crush the head of Satan. The, the heel of the seed of the woman would be bruised, but Satan and sin and death would be crushed and destroyed. As we read John 19 and 28, it says this, After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. For the disciples, I doubt that they called this Good Friday. Jesus had repeatedly told them, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'm, the, the Son of Man will be high and lifted up. That, that I would be, He would be laying down his life for his people. But yet when it all went down, all of the disciples, Peter, James, John, all of them, were distraught and felt abandoned and that they had they had sort of hitched their pony to a bad horse. They didn't know what we know now about Sunday that's coming up, that Jesus uh, indeed is risen, that he has conquered sin and Satan and death. Right now they're in a place where, oh no, what has happened? Church, that might be where your life is now. And I mean this, you've tried everything, you've done everything, you've pursued everything. You have looked and looked and looked, and everything that you've put your life, yourself, your soul into has come up short. Maybe just a little, maybe a whole lot, but you've, you've tried people and things and places and stuff and causes, and they, they make you feel good, they, they, they provide some fulfillment, but at the end of the day, you're left empty and wanting I come to you tonight to share with you the good news of Jesus Christ the first thing we're gonna do if you've ever remodeled a house or any part of your house the first thing you do is demo you knock down the stuff you don't want the stuff that's not functional the stuff that's not pleasing that's not aesthetically functional in your home so that you can do what so that you can be remade right the Bible teaches us something that we shy away from, but it is absolutely necessary for you to step into the new life that God has made for you. And the first is this, that we all as humanity, individually and collectively, are sinners. And we, we don't like to admit that, and we don't want to, uh, I don't want to guilt you about that. No one here in this room right now, nor around the world, can really compare each other's sins to one another the bible says very clearly we're just all sinners why is that we inherited it from our great 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 grandparents adam and eve they sinned they disobeyed god we inherited that nature no one here has ever taken a class on how to sin we just knew how to do it it was within us it's 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 woven into the very fabric of our flesh and when the Bible talks about that, it refers to us being of the flesh or following the flesh. It's this idea that 
in and of ourselves, we are corrupt. If you've ever worked with computers, occasionally you'll have a corrupted file. You can't use that file anymore. It's corrupted. It's no good. You, you try to use it, you're going to lose data, you're going to lose stuff. Can't use it anymore. It's got to be pushed or sent to another part of the disk. That's what we are like. And so, what we need to demo today, what we need to really scrap today is religion. Because if you get to the point where you say, you know what, Pastor Tony, I may not agree with you, but I kind of see those fruits in my life. I see that sinful nature, the way that Paul describes in Romans 7, that I know what I should do, and I seem incapable of doing it. And I know what I shouldn't do, but that's what I always gravitate towards. I try, I, I, I pray, I ask for help, but I always find myself in that mess time and time again. And I would ask you, church, at this moment, not to qualify your sin. Well, it's not that bad. James says if you've broken one, one part of the law, you've broken it all. We're all in the same boat. We all come from the same place. This is not me saying you are bad and we are good. Come join our team. It's like, no, we're all bad and we found one good person. And his name is Jesus. So Isaiah 64 says, We have all become like one who is unclean, and all of our righteous de deeds are like a polluted garment or filthy rag, some of your translations might say. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind take us away. Now, our first inclination when we sin or when we acknowledge that we're a sinner, our first instinct, our human nature, we've got to do something to make it up to God. Let's, let's give money. Yeah, I'll give money. I'll, I'll go to church. I know, I'll go to church and I'll go and I'll, and I'll sing the songs and I'll, and I'll be with those boring people, present company excluded. I'll go and I will, I will, I will give, I'll serve. I'll go, and I'll, I'll, I'll go to a soup kitchen or I'll, or I'll donate clothing to uh, you know, uh, the thrifty shop or you know, they're a Christian organization. I'll do something. The problem with that is, is that between you and I, that's a good thing. You take your clothes and give it to somebody who needs those clothes. That's a good thing. But to repay God for your sin, it is not a good thing. And Isaiah says here, filled with the Holy Spirit, he says that our righteous deeds are like filthy rags. The word that he uses here in the Hebrew, it's an exclusive word. It's the only time in all of the Bible that this word is used. It's the same word that would be used for a woman when she is menstruating. And I don't mean to be graphic. I'm not trying to be crass. I want you to understand the state of our good deeds apart from Christ. Christ, I have sinned. Let me do this for you. Not enough. The penalty of sin, the Bible says, the wages of sin is death. But here's the problem with that. Let's say you get it in your head. Big disclaimer, don't do this. Well, I've sinned. The wages of sin is death, so I will give my life for my sins. Here's what the Bible teaches us. Even that is insufficient. We can't even pull that off right. Our unclean sacrifice is not enough. You go to the Old Testament and you go to uh, the people of Israel and they would have festivals and they would have to, to bring at the Passover a spotless lamb. Not one with the broken leg, 
not one that was blind, not the one that was always sick, your best lamb, spotless, no flaw. You bring that one, you give it to God, it's slaughtered for your sin. It's an image of the coming Christ. But see, we're not that sacrifice, are we? Our sin prevents our death from being sufficient to pay God back God for our sin, to make things right. And that's what we're dealing with here, righteousness. Apart from God, we are unrighteous. God alone is righteous. What do we do? Jesus said, it is finished. And here's what's finished. Religion. Trying to make our own way back to God. The act of the cross, the crucifixion, as much as it is a, a, a very gruesome, when you realistically look at the accounts of the crucifixion and what was done to Jesus, as bloody and gruesome as it was, it was an act of love towards us. And here's the big, the big reveal or the big uh, revelation. God would rather die for you than have you die for you. Jesus, the Son of God, would rather come as a missionary to this place to die on our behalf so that we might be reunited with the one who created us. The Bible says between us and God, when we are of the flesh, the book of Romans says there's enmity between us. It's war. It's division. It's like for you husbands and wives when you have that spat. Oh, it's cool. Everything's cool. But you know things aren't right. There's enmity and division between you. There's, just, there's those looks and there's those feelings. And you're like, they said they were cool, but not really. It's like that times a thousand. But the good news is that Jesus has come to annihilate all of that to make us brand new. For you who have been Christians in this room for a while, what you realize is the truth that is found here that, that you were once one way. And Jesus changed you. He changed your destiny. Your life, had you not met him at that point in your life, in that season of your life, your life would be somewhere else today. You might even be married to somebody else, working in a different field. It altered everything about you, including your eternity. And from here on out, you stand upon the sacrifice of Jesus. Not your own righteous deeds. Not all the stuff you can do. You've realized your frailty and your emptiness, and you've said, God, I accept your offer. I realize the great love you have for me. And I extend my hand to the one that has been stretched out this whole time. See, God has not been hiding from you. God has not been shunning you. God has not been afraid of you. He's not been embarrassed by your sin. He, he, he's none of it. In spite of all those things, the book of Romans says that even while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus went to that cross knowing fully well who we were and said, I will still do it. In his last breath and the last strength that his body had, he said, it is finished. And what is finished is life as you knew it. Tonight, you have what the Bible calls, or what the Bible shows through imagery, the ability to be adopted. When the Bible talks about our relationship between him and God, the Bible uses different metaphors and analogies. And one is 
that of a, a, a husband and a bride. Very beautiful image, and it gives that much more importance to marriages uh, within our churches. But it also uses the imagery of a father and an orphan. When the disciples asked Jesus to teach us how to pray, to teach them how to pray, he started by saying, Father who art in heaven. He approached God as a dad. Some of you have wounds from your fathers, your, your biological, your earthly fathers. And, and, and I, I pray for some of you that I know that have that. And it's more prevalent today than it ever has been. But here's the thing. The good father, the loving father, he was willing to give up his only begotten son, John 3 says, that we might all have everlasting life. Apart from him, we have nothing, but within him, we have everything. Church, I don't know what you've learned. I don't know what you've been told. I don't know what you've seen in the media. I don't know what you've understood the Bible. But the Bible tells us this, that apart from God, we are orphans. We are by ourselves. We are unwanted by the world, but within the Father is a love for us. And He wants to adopt you. He wants to bring you into His family. He wants you to have His name. He wants you to come into His family, which is the church. And we are a broken, dysfunctional, infighting, just big hot mess. But man, we love you. And the church is loved by Christ and he's sanctifying us by the washing of his word. You are greatly loved. I, I can't, if I could do anything tonight, I would just stand here and keep reminding you of that. That God is holy and that he loves you in spite of your unholiness. See, when I hear that message, maybe you're not like me, but when I hear that message, when, when I hear that God loves me, the first instinct is not, I'm so great. God loves me. Look at me, everybody. God loves me. It reminds me of my unholiness. My first question would be, why? Why do you love me? Like, like Paul, I'm the chief of sinners. That's what I feel like. And I go back to the Word and I read, it's not by what I've done. My righteousness is like the filthy rags, right? It's by what Christ has done. Church, that's why we have an empty cross here in the church. This is why this is why the image of the cross has never died. I've heard comedians and commentators talk about how it's the last thing Jesus would want to see. I'm here to tell you it's where Jesus did the greatest thing ever. And we as Christians, we celebrate that empty cross and that eventual empty tomb. I would implore you that you would go home tonight if you are not a Christian, if you, if you think about what, the, what I've sort of preached to you right now, and you think to yourself, you know what, I, maybe I'm not, maybe I've been religious, maybe I've been spiritual, but I definitely haven't been a Christian. I haven't laid down my life that I might pick up the life that Christ has for me. I would implore you to go back to the Word and read. Read the Gospels. Read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Just, just read the Bible. This is the way God primarily speaks to us. He has spoken to us in such plain, easy-to-understand terms. And pray, Lord, if this is you, help me to believe. Jesus met a young father once who, you know, his disciples had gone around and they were healing everybody. You know, it was like a free-for-all. Everybody's getting healed. You're get, it's Oprah. You're getting a healing. You're getting a healing. You're getting a healing. 
everything. And then there's just one dad and a son, and the son has what we would call epilepsy. But it's not epilepsy based on a physical problem. You know, you see that in the Bible too, but in this particular instance, we're told it's because of demon possession. And, and the disciples can't heal him or deliver him from that. And so they start fighting. And the dad is fighting and the disciples are fighting and Jesus comes and basically tells them, hey, if you, if you believe, then, then there you go. We'll, we'll, we'll go from there. And the, and the father says, help my unbelief. As a guy and as a dad myself, in that moment, what I would have said was, yeah, I got this. Talk to big game. Now, you know, don't, don't show your weakness, that sort of thing. But this dad, this dad who had this great love for his son, was willing to be so vulnerable that he would say, help my unbelief. Take, take the vast amount of doubt that I have right now and change that for me. And Jesus does just that. It's not a formula that we can copy. It's God's persistence and promise coming through in the most amazing ways. Jesus paid it all. That's what we just sang a few moments ago. Jesus paid everything for you that you might become the children of God. Naturally, we're not. Supernaturally, we are. John 1.9 says, The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Today, if you believe in the name of Jesus, the name that the Bible tells us is the name above all names, that there's no other name by which men might be saved. The name of Jesus Christ. If you believe in Jesus tonight, you are saved. Saved from what? The wrath of God. See, because if we go back to the beginning of this message and we don't demo these things that we talked about, then the Bible says that we our destiny is hell. The pastor, Tony, hell is old-fashioned, and that was a message for people who didn't have science and Blah, 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 blah. Look, you can argue that all that you want. Here's what I find, that evil is still evil. Satan is still at work. If you've watched the news this week, you don't have to go very far to figure that out. And for those who do not believe, for those who do not accept the outstretched hand of the Father through the Son, then the Lord allows you simply to go where you decide to go. And it is our hope as a church, it's my hope as the pastor, that you would look at that and say, no, I will, I will receive the grace that God has given me to become a believer today. The mercy to not receive what I should and the grace to be given that which I don't deserve. See, nobody in here deserves heaven. Nobody in here deserves God. We all deserve everything else, but through the grace of God, we have found forgiveness. And that forgiveness changes everything. That forgiveness liberates, delivers, and changes everything about you. And at this point, all I can do 
is pray for you. See, I've come into this. I'm not a car salesman. I'm not, you know, I don't come in here with a fancy sales pitch. If it were a car salesman, it's, it's as though I came and said, hey, guess what? Buy this car. The engine doesn't work. Not a good salesman. Hey, everybody, you come to church. You're a sinner. That's not a good sales pitch. But it's not based on what I've said. I'm hoping now, I am banking on, I am praying that the Holy Spirit now is speaking to you. That he is telling you things like, come home. That you are not alone. That you are greatly loved. That he has made provision for you. That he wants to change you. That you have come to him as you are, but he's going to do a great thing in you. Bible says he'll never leave you nor forsake you. We've all had friends. We've had those friends that say, hey, never going to leave you. You're my best friend. And then they run off with your husband or your wife or they steal money from you or they, they crash your car and don't do anything about it. And they just they leave your life because it became too hard. And, you know, we just assume God's going to do the same thing. He's just going to up and leave one day. When he figures out who we are, he already knows who we are and has decided you are worth it only person on earth who will do that for you the only person the only god who will ever uh, will ever come to you in your sinful state to save you from his own wrath by taking his own wrath for you and so now my prayer is that you would take the hand of christ and walk with him i was explaining it on wednesday during our midweek bible study my my hope as a pastor is not to be the guy that connects you to jesus i'm just like Here's your hand and here's God's hand. Just, just grab hands already. You walk with him. You talk with him. You commune with him. You develop a relationship with him. You become the person that God has recreated you to be. One that is not driven by fear. One that is given a, the, 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 the spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. The, the, the person that frankly God was willing to die to produce in you. And so I'm going to ask Mike to come up and play a soft song because I find that people make better life decisions when there's soft music playing. And I'm going to ask you guys to stand up. We could play metal. I know Mike can pull that off even on an acoustic guitar, but we'll, we'll play something soft. No August Burns Red or anything like that. Stand up with me now. Here is the decision for you. Will you walk with Jesus? We sing a song every now and again about how, uh, what's the, how's that go? You know, the world before me, or the, you know, the cross before me, the world behind me. I have decided to follow Jesus. There you go. Well, that's why you have the guitar. Today's your day to make that decision. Well, I don't have all the answers. I've never read the Bible. It took me like a lot of years before I got to that point. I gave my life to the Lord way before then. I kind of saw it. I kind of see it now as, you know, the train's going by. Am I going to jump on or not? Well, I don't have all my stuff. No, just get on the train today. Let the Lord figure all that part out after this initial moment. But for now, give your life to Christ. And then this Friday which from the world standpoint looks very destructive and brutal, then becomes a good Friday, doesn't it? 
Let's pray. Jesus, your word is your word. Your gospel is your gospel. Your truth is your truth. For the people of this room today, for the people in South Bay Chapel tonight, I pray that it would become reality. That the truth of your son, Jesus, that while we were still sinners, he died for us. That that message would come through clearer than it ever has. Maybe we've heard this message since we were a kid. Maybe our grandmas or our our moms or our dads or our grandpas shared it with us and we turned to deaf ear. But now it's got our attention. I pray, Lord, that today that the offer, the grace that you offer to us freely would be accepted by your people. That we would understand that though it is a free gift, it is not a cheap gift. It was indeed very costly for you. As we contemplate these things, Lord, I want to come to you in thanksgiving. I want to say thank you. That you you were willing for a people who rejected you, Lord, you were still willing to send your son. That as he carried his cross to that mountain, he was reviled and yelled out and mocked and spit upon, yet kept walking, kept taking each step. That even upon the cross, the people shouted, he saved others. Let's see if he could save himself. That they gave him a crown of thorns to mock his kingship. All so that, as Isaiah 53 says, by the stripes that he bore, that by the stripes upon his back, we might be healed. We might be put back into relationship with the one who created us. Jesus, I, I believe this is something miraculous that we are praying for. But you are the God of miracles. I pray that people's lives will begin to change tonight, this moment. That as they go home, that as they read, as they lay their heads down tonight, that you would speak to them in a way that only they would understand and hear. That they would rejoice knowing that they have become the children of God. Children to the the everlasting, good, amazing Father. And above all things, Jesus, may you be glorified. In your name we pray. Amen.